Happy Father's Day to all our dads out there. This is a good day to remind ourselves the importance of fathers and the importance of dads. And, and I would just extend that to the spiritual fathers. So many times we, we are ministering to people in broken homes where dad's not a believer. And I am so impressed with the way people at Village and, and men at Village come alongside and father, be a spiritual father to other young men and other young children. And so we honor you today as well because that is vital and that is important. When we think of fathers, one of the things that often comes up is dad jokes, right? And um, because my son is in here, I'm not going to tell any dad jokes today, which I think are awesome. But there's dadisms sometimes we have, things dad says. Do you ever remember anything your dad often said when you leave a room? Turn out the lights. Do you think I'm made of money? I have a list of some of these that maybe you've heard. Um, Some funny, some that are just really nuggets of truth. Keep your eye on the ball. For those of you that are teaching your kids baseball, shake hands with a firm grip and look the person in the eye. That's really good advice that I heard from my dad a lot. A little dirt never hurt anyone. A little pain never hurt anybody. Don't worry, it's only blood. (laughs) I love those. That's... um, that's sort of been my mantra with my voice at times. We're not lost. I'm just not sure where we are. Stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. Moms and dads have been using that since there's been kids, I think. Um, you're going to like it whether you like it or not. Um, <laughs> let me jump ahead for a few of these. This one I heard a lot at home. Sorry, Dad. Um, you want something to do? I'll give you something to do. <laughs> I never asked dad if I was bored because I knew weeding would be the result out front or something like that. Um, I don't care what other people are doing. I'm not everybody else's father. If your friend jumped off a bridge, would you? These are just good things. There's so many things here that that I love. Um, Use your head, not your temper. Don't say things you don't mean. Always open the door for a lady, but not into her face. We had to add that second part for our family (laughs) because of some things that happened. Yeah. Um, Your mother will always be the prettiest girl on the planet. Man, that's important for kids to hear dad say. Um, When you fall off the horse, get right back on. The early bird gets the worm. Rise and shine. But that doesn't mean four in the morning. (laughs) Just saying. Don't take yourself so seriously. Take what you do seriously and love God most. A whole lot of these we could do, and I was surprised reading through the list how many I've said sometimes that I said I would never say. But that's sort of how parenting works. Today is Father's Day, and and as we remember the importance of fathers, I remember a survey that we talked about a year or two ago that talked about what is the the most important factor in kids coming out loving God and walking with God. And in this survey, and this wasn't meant to discourage the other things, but in this survey, the highest percentage of kids that kept the faith and walked with God were kids where dad was actively involved in the faith, where dad was actively involved in church and loved God most. And that passed on to the kids. Now, this doesn't mean that a mom can't pass that on, and if dad's not in the picture, that can't happen. But that's where I love to see the body of Christ coming together and, and, 
and helping give some godly influence from other men in the church to your kids. So as, we, as you heard on Mother's Day, we're taking Mother's Day and Father's Day and really diving into what does that influence look like? How do we influence our kids to, to love God most? And we're basing that out of the passage that we actually come to today in Luke. We jumped ahead in Mother's Day, but we're going to finish that passage today where Jesus is saying nothing else should take priority over him. Nothing else over our faith, because if anything is more important than God, if we love anything more than God, that's an idol, and that means that we are worshiping a false idol. And sometimes our false idols, as we talked about last week, may be really good things. We can have a false idol of family. We can have a false idol of work. We can have a false idol of marriage or friendships. But ultimately, God is the the, the priority. He is the one we are to love the most. Now, as we, we take these two weeks and talk a little bit about family and, and hopefully give you some great skills for family, that doesn't mean that if you're single here today, this isn't for you, because these are the same skills that you start to practice now in your life, that you practice now and other children in the church are already watching you. My kids are already looking up to some of you that are in this room because you're just a little bit older. And so... When you practice these things, you're helping disciple my kids and all the other littles in the church. And so this is something that in church family life, these principles are important for all of us to take heed of. Now, as we talk, one other thing I want to mention is my goal today is really twofold. Number one, to help families, to help moms and dads be on the same page with purpose. We want our kids to love God most and and to say that is our commitment and, and that broad commitment, though, is going to express itself in a variety of different ways. And so what I try to do is give a whole bunch of ideas of what that might look like. Now, don't take this list, and we're going to get to some things about our core values. Don't take this and say, if I'm not doing all 20 of these, then, then I, I'm, not, I'm not helping my kids love Jesus most. I'm just trying to give one or two ideas that you can grab onto, because it's going to be different for your family and my family in each situation. As long as we have the same direction we're going, the same goal. And that goal is to raise kids that don't love us most. Or as Jesus put it, and we'll see in the text and we'll review what we did on Mother's Day, kids that hate, relatively speaking, their father and mother and wife and children and friends and themselves compared to their love for God. Turn with me to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. And we'll review what we we talked about on Mother's Day and then jump to the end of the passage and then put some practical meat on what we're doing. Luke chapter 14. And we'll be starting at verse 25. As we come to this passage now, you've seen the context a little more than we had on Mother's Day. Jesus has been teaching on discipleship. And some of the things that he's been teaching on, he's going to summarize in this passage. And, and real specifically, what we talked about is God wants us to love him most in our relationships and in our self, our love for self, and in our stuff. And you can remember various messages on each of those. Last week, we talked about pride and humility, and it was all about love of self. And Jesus is saying, you can't put yourself above me. A few weeks ago, Pastor Andrew talked about love of stuff and having an open hand with our stuff. And so Jesus has been teaching these things that make a true disciple, is to put God first in our relationships, all of our relationships, in ourselves, in our love for self, and in our stuff. And so this passage then comes along and summarizes that. 
And if you remember, as, as we, we think through it, the first point we talked about on Mother's Day is a disciple must have a commitment to Jesus that far exceeds devotion to family or self. Our commitment to Jesus must far exceed devotion to family or self. And in verses 25 and 26, we read, Now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And Jesus here is, is wording things in black and white. And I think we need that sometimes because we want to walk a gray area on these things. But Jesus says, love me most. And devotion to Christ is not devotion unless it's wholehearted, unless it's a complete commitment. And so our commitment to Christ must far exceed all of our other relationships. Then he moves on in 27 to 32 and deals with self and my, my view of me and my love for me, which is something that we all struggle with in our pride and self-centeredness. He's, we read, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. If he's not willing to sacrifice, he's not willing to count the cost, give up self, he can't be my disciple. Verse 28, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. And we talked about that we need to be willing to count the cost, be willing to make sure if we say we're a believer, if we say we're a follower of Christ, that we're willing to love him most and follow him most that we can carry out what we say we're doing. We see in even that, that ending section, we talked about that that is making peace with God and realizing that, that love for self leads nowhere good, nowhere eternal that we want to be. And so it's a matter of coming and surrendering to the king, saying, I am yours, I follow you. So as parents, we talked about teaching our kids that they're not the center of the universe, showing them that it takes sacrifice to stand up for Jesus and sacrifice is good as we sacrifice our wants, our desires, our comforts, our time, our reputation at times for the sake of Christ, of following Christ. And then we went on in verse 33 and saw that we must be willing to relinquish everything to God by using anything we have for the kingdom. Our stuff must come under Christ because if we love him more and not our stuff, we're willing to use it any way we can for the kingdom. So in verse 33, so therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And again, it's not saying we, we, we give away everything and live under uh, um, the church's patio or something like that. But it's saying that those things aren't important. We love Jesus most. And so those things are all used for the kingdom. It's condemning half-heartedness again. And, and so as parents... The encouragement was to watch to make sure our kids aren't holding too tightly to things and valuing them above Jesus. And we're to be on the front line of that. And so Jesus deals with relationships, self, and stuff, three of the major parts of our lives that are difficult to give to God. And that sort of is a, is a, a rush whirlwind tour to get us to our text today. The verses we want to look at today, 34 and 35, Jesus really uses to say, okay, 
what if you don't think giving those things to God is important? What if you don't think loving God most in relationships and self and stuff is important? What's the result? What happens with that? And so Jesus gives a warning here that we need to hear. And and I challenge us to hear the warning. What if we don't love Jesus most? Because life is busy. I don't have time to do all the things you're saying. I don't have, you know, and there's a lot of things I want to do. And and Christianity might cramp my style a little bit. And so Jesus deals with the consequences of half-hearted Christianity. And verses 34 and 35 are just two short verses that have a powerful punch at the end of this, this section. Salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is mimicking or, or, or corresponding to a passage in Matthew that says the same thing. But at the end, he uses an illustration that they would have understand. Salt is good. And so the first question asked is, what did salt represent to them? They didn't just go to the store and buy Morton's for 99 cents and pour it all over their food. Salt was something that was valuable to them because it was hard to get. It was hard to get out of, they usually got most of it from the Dead Sea area. And so, in fact, we know that salt was so valued that at times soldiers would receive their payment in salt rather than coins. Now, just picture that if salt was currency. And that's how valuable it was to them. And so some of the ways that they would use salt, one would be for flavoring, as, as many, many of us do, put, put a little salt on, and it would give some flavor, it would give some seasoning. It was also used as a preservative, and you've heard some of these things before. It would preserve food from rot, from putrefaction, because you could put it in the food and it would help keep the bacteria at bay. And so it was used in that way, especially in a culture without fridges, and especially not the little smart fridges that reorder things for you. No, they needed something to keep their food fresh. And so salt was used for that, and you could see the importance of that. It was used as an antiseptic for a wound, to, to kill the bacteria in a wound. It was used, and this is one of the illustrations in this section, it was used on manure piles. And, and at first I read it, I'm like, really? on manure piles, but what a couple things it would do, it would keep the weeds from growing on the manure piles, the compost piles that would be used for fertilizer, but it also would slow the fermentation. If you've ever had like a bunch of leaves or trash and you leave it too long and it begins to ferment and stink, and it would slow that process, so it would keep the, the manure pile, the, um, the fertilizer, a little fresher longer. It would help it maintain its usefulness and value. And so that is, when Jesus says salt, all of that's in their head, this valuable item that has so many uses. And then he says, but if salt lost its taste, and, and we just have to stop there again and say, okay, can salt really lose its taste? I don't care how long you keep your Mortons in the, the shelf, the, it, you're gonna, it's still going to taste like salt. Because sodium chloride is sodium chloride. That's the the components of salt. And it keeps that taste. And so some have said, well, Jesus is just being silly here. I I don't think so. Because again, culture helps us understand these things. Context helps us understand these things. In the Dead Sea, and in fact, they still get salt and a whole number of minerals for those that have been with us there. They still get that from the Dead Sea. But back then, they didn't have the refineries that we had. And so what they would do is they would take a water mixture and they would, they would spread it out and you would let the water evaporate out. 
Now, at some point, the salt crystals crystallize before some of the other ingredients. And so at that point, you needed to scrape them off, right? And then you got somewhat pure salt. It still wasn't pure salt, but that was your best chance at pure salt. Because the, the, the whole area also had gypsum in it. If you don't know what gypsum is, if you just scrape off drywall and lick it, that's gypsum, okay? And, and if you've ever sanded with drywall, that's that, it tastes horrid. Um, carnalite is another ingredient there, and this is all mixed in with the salt. But if you could, you could grab those, those sodium chloride crystals out at just the right time, you got fairly decent tasting salt. But if you waited too long, you were getting gypsum with it and, and carnalite and some of these other flavors. So what happens to the flavor of salt as you add these other things? It loses its flavor, right? It loses its taste. It loses its effectiveness because it's tainted by other things. I think that's really what Jesus is talking about here because that's what they would have understood it. See, salt doesn't lose its taste on its own. The only way it loses its taste is if we dilute it with all kinds of other things, with all kinds of things that don't taste like salt. It's something that you can't undo. Once you add things to salt, it's really hard to get it back out. I say that sometimes. Some of our couples use the sand for for the wedding, and they do use two colors of sand, and you pour them together. And I tell them, I say, okay, so you are now one. Divorce is not an option, because do you really want to take each little speck of sand and separate it back out? No, you can't do that. Well, with salt or something, it's even it's even harder. And so you can't undo the contamination of salt with these other ingredients. And at that point, the salt is worthless. And, and it can't be used for anything. So think about this. When Jesus says, salt is good, they would think of all the great uses of salt. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? And they couldn't. And so if you had a batch of salt that was tainted with gypsum or maybe some dirt got in there or, or some other things, what's the value of that? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. In fact, they would say not only was there no value in that, there was detrimental value in that because you couldn't even dispose of it without contaminating something else. It was worthless to a point of being harmful. Now keep in mind... Jesus is saying this right after saying we need to love God most in our relationships, over self, and with our stuff. And so what he's saying is half-hearted Christianity here. When we don't love God most, when we mix it with worldliness, when we mix it with our love for other things, it destroys it. It makes it putrid because it's diluted by the world. So Jesus is saying be salt, and absolutely we know be salt and light. But don't be deluded by the world. When we add those things, it changes the essential quality of salt. A bit of worldliness here. A taste of sin there. You know, a little impurity that I see online. That's okay. Because, hey, I'm living my life for Jesus the rest of the time. We can't separate it that way. Salt that is tainted is tainted. Even if it's just a little bit. You know, when, when we think of this, it's not that the, the gospel loses its power. We're not destroying the gospel, but we're destroying people's view of the gospel. There is nothing like a deluded view of the gospel to drive people away from it. For people to say they love God and, and say that they are, they are disciples of Christ and then to live no differently from the world. 
or to enjoy the same things the world enjoys. That's, that's a kind of gospel that isn't attractive. In fact, it's a little disgusting for people because it makes no sense. And so Jesus is saying, be salt, but if it's lost its taste, how will its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. If we're not sold out for Christ, if we're not all in, if we aren't committed to making Christ first in our lives, we aren't useful for the King. And that's harsh to say, but it's true. It's what Jesus teaches. We aren't useful for the King. We taste bad. We're not even useful for the compost or the dung pile. And so Jesus is giving a a sharp, sharp warning here to say, how do you live? How have you combined worldliness with everything else? See, if you think of the elements we talked about of salt, when we begin to bring worldliness in, when when we hold on to things we love that we know aren't best, that we know aren't loving God, we're no longer useful for seasoning. We don't give this world a sweet taste of the gospel and a fullness of walking with God. We're not useful as a preservative. We're not holding sin at a distance. Part of the role of of the Holy Spirit and believers is to restrain the evil one and to hold sin at a distance. And when we we live half-hearted lives that are only committed to Christ, maybe on Sunday or at certain areas of our life, we're not a preservative anymore. We're part of the problem. We're propagating the problem. When we think of the, the antiseptic qualities of salt, healing and bringing a message of healing to people, Again, if we have allowed the world to taint our lives, then then that element of salt is ineffective. Ineffective. Now, now, I know that we are all imperfect this side of eternity. I know we're all struggling with it. And so much of this also deals with how do we respond to sin? What do we do when we've let sin in our lives? Do we repent and, and, and ask for God's forgiveness? Or do we enjoy it and tolerate it? Where are our lives and loves in this world? Is it on Christ most? One dad, and I I love this story, and it's a little bit gross just to warn you, but it's, it's what one dad did with his teenagers, and now that I have teenage boys, I'd probably do the same thing. But one dad was trying to teach this concept to his kids. His kids wanted to go see an R-rated movie that um, just had some, some filth in it. And dad was trying to be the gatekeeper. And dad saying, no, we're not going to go see that. That's inappropriate. And the kids came up with the arguments that most kids will sometimes. Well, I can look over the language a little bit, dad. I, I can overlook it. It won't affect me. And, and the sex scenes, you know what? I'll, they, they, it'll be fine. It's just a little bit because the rest of the movie has a lot of redeeming qualities. And dad was trying to explain it and they wouldn't get it. And, and the dad finally said, you're just not going. Why? This is another dadism. Because I said so. <laughs> that, that's your why. And sometimes, sometimes as parents, if they're not getting it, you try to explain. And we talk a lot about in discipline, bringing them along. But if they don't get it, you still hold the line and say, it's just the way it's going to be in my home. And, and the kids are upset. And the dad's trying to find a creative way to teach this. And so he goes into the kitchen and he whips up a, a batch of the famous family brownies. They have a family recipe and the kids love this. And, and he brings out this, this plate of brownies to the kids. And he's like, I have brownies. Like, yeah, this is a great day. Our dad's the best. 
And, and he said, oh, you know, this is our, our um, family recipe. I just added one little special ingredient for you. And, and the kid's like, what? And, and he goes, no, no, I, I went out back and, and got a little bit of dog excrement. To my kids, I would just say poop. <laughs> and I added in, but it's okay. It's just a little bit in the batter. And the rest of the ingredients are top quality, have a lot of redeeming value. And so overall, this is going to be great for you. Not one kid took a brownie. Shocker. But they got the point. See, a little bit of leaven goes through the whole loaf. And and Jesus has used that of the kingdom of God. He's used that of sin. And this is a case where a little bit of compromise, a little bit of evil that we mix into Christianity creates this gross putrid mix of Christ-likeness and godliness that doesn't work. We are to love God most in all we do. In all we do. We don't add a little bit of, of dog feces. We don't add a little bit of poison to food because it doesn't make sense. You can have all the best parts of discipleship in Christianity, but if you're mixing it with the world, it is tainted and gross. It always is. There's no way around it. And so many times our kids walk away from God and our kids walk away from church, not because they've tasted real Christianity, but because they've tasted a tainted Christianity that doesn't make sense to them because it doesn't make sense. And they're pretty smart. And so the challenge here for all disciples, and Jesus is wording it in black and white, you're either for me or you're against me. You're either loving me most or you're loving the world most. There is no in-between. And so this, my prayer is for us as parents, is a challenge to be on the same page and say our goal is to have a home. My goal is to have a life that is sold out for Christ with no excuses. Nothing held back. See, bad discipleship, when we say we're Christians but we're not sold out for God, it always has a putridness to it, a disgust to it, to God and to others around us. One of the other things, and, and let me just read James 4, 4 and 5 to you because it ties in here. James 4, 4 and 5 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do you catch the, the black and white that James is saying? If, if we're bringing worldliness in and a love for worldliness that is above our love for God, And and if we're bringing that sin into our lives, it makes us an enemy of God. Not only are we not useful, but we're acting as enemies of God when we mix in worldliness. That's a sobering concept. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. But verse 5 tells us why. This isn't about, oh no, I can't do this. Understand the heart here. Verse 5 says, Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit he has made to dwell in us? New Living translates this a little differently. It says, Do you think the Scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate that the Spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. The heart of this is God loves us so much and he wants such a beautiful relationship with us that he doesn't want anything to get in the way of that. He wants you to experience what a love relationship with God can be and it's incredible. 
And He wants to give you fullness of life. And He wants to pour His heart into you and His love on you and His passion on you. And when we mix in worldliness and when we're not all in in our Christianity, we're the ones that are getting in the way of that. So God's command isn't to be mean here. He's trying to give us the best and we keep retreating from it. Let's not be enemies of God. In the passage in Luke, we see that it ends in disaster. It is of no use for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. Listen up. Take heed to the warning. It's thrown away because it's worthless. Matthew 5.13 says the same thing. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So we need to be salty. We need to be salty. Make life enjoyable. Season it well for other people. Preserve from rot. Stand for what's right. Heal people by by sharing with them God's forgiveness and His grace and the gospel. But don't let anything dilute that and get in the way of that. A parenting principle out of this and something that I encourage us all, don't soft-pedal discipleship through half-hearted Christianity. Don't soft-pedal discipleship through half-hearted Christianity and worldliness. It's okay. You, You can keep your habits that God hates and still love God. Well, no. Remember the brownies. Another parenting thought. Dads, my challenge to you is you're to be the primary primary gatekeeper on making sure worldliness doesn't creep into your family. Now, moms and dads, you're together on this. And and moms are are sometimes on the front line during the daytime on this. But dads, your wife craves you to stand up and be the leader in this area. And so many of you are doing a great job of that. To say, no, we're not going to watch that. To be the one that's willing to, to take the remote and change the channel. We've had to do that many times. There's not a lot of real TV we can watch anymore. Fortunately, they're still Dodger games. And we sometimes have to pause the commercials of those. Be the gatekeeper. That's how you lead. And and it's not hard. If something in your mind is like, well, that might not be best for the family, it's better to not watch it and to talk about it with your wife later than to just sit there and see what happens. Be the one that says our family will love Jesus most. Will love Jesus most. One last thought that, that one of the authors said that I really like. Salt, one of the functions of salt is it creates thirst. And if we're to be salt, do I make people thirsty for Jesus? Or do I make them thirsty for something else? That's a question I had to ask myself. When, when, when I interact with people, do I make them more thirsty for Jesus? Are they craving that? So let's be salt. For the last 10 minutes, I, I want to just give some practical ideas. And it's on the other side of your notes, no blanks. You can just sort of use this as a resource. Um, but I want to talk through our core values here and what this might look like, what these two, this whole section might look like in a family. And, and again, how do you approach this list? Approach it more like tools in a toolbox. You don't use every tool for every project. But more you pick and choose what will work for your family, what will work for you, and, and you, you consider how these are going to be implemented. And one of the things that I would suggest is you start with prayer as, as you go through a list like this. You start with prayer and say, God, 
show me one, one of these that you want me to start working on. And then just pick one. Don't try them all. Pick one to work on and to deepen and realize these are goals, things to look toward rather than a, a list of things that make you spiritual or make you successful at this. Ultimately, you as parents can't force your kids to be spiritual. That's a hard one because I really would like to. But you can't force your kids to be spiritual. This is the work of the Holy Spirit ultimately. And we can point the right direction, which I think is why the most important thing is for mom and dad to be on the same page. We want to love Jesus most. And then you try some of these different things and see what resonates with your kids. But trust that God is the one that ultimately changes them. Wives and and kids that are here today, one other thing I'd like to mention is as you go through this list, I'd like you guys to pick one that you think dad is doing pretty well. And make sure by the end of the day you tell him. Make, pick one that you think dad is, is, is doing pretty well. By the end of the day, tell him that will be maybe one of the most important Father's Day's gifts you give him is that encouragement to say, hey, I, I notice you're really doing well at this. We really appreciate that. So if you think through our, our core values, outreach, community, spiritual growth, and ministry, really these are elements of discipleship. These are all core to what it means to walk with God, what it means to, to be a disciple. And so they become a great matrix to think through, how do I teach these things to my kids? Or how do I model these things in the home? Am I modeling loving Jesus most in outreach, in community, in spiritual growth, in ministry? And and you could even probably make a spreadsheet of this and and put... No, sorry. Those of you... I know you know I love spreadsheets. But you can think through, okay, am I working in something in each of these areas? The first is outreach, because part of discipleship and being a disciple is reaching out to others. Sharing the gospel. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So how do we show our kids that Jesus is first in outreach? That he's more important than relationships, than myself, than stuff in outreach? As I, I list five ideas there. Um, during family time sometime, sit and say, okay, how can we be an influence on others for Jesus? How can we be salt? And ask your kids this question. Make it a topic of conversation to where they are in, engaging in it and you're on mission together. In fact, if you want to show that this is more important than other things, maybe take an evening that you would normally watch a TV show or play a game or something together and say, you know what, this is so important We're going to talk about this as a family. And then as you talk about it, include your kids in praying for your one and pray with them for theirs. If you remember our stick figures, those were our people that we're praying for. We should each have at least one person that we know that doesn't know Christ that we're praying for, praying for opportunities, praying for the Holy Spirit to convict and draw them into the beauty of the gospel. Moms, dads, tell your kids who you're praying for and ask them to pray. You know how your kids pray. And the beauty of that simplicity, they may just say, God, help so-and-so to accept you. And that will stir their hearts. It stirs your heart. You're showing that this is more important than, than other things. When an opportunity comes up, the third one there, stop what you're doing and reach out to that person or do something out of the ordinary for them. Again, I'm trying to think of things. How can we model sacrifice? How can we model that 
God's purpose is more important than my life. And one of the ways, and these are just simple things, and you can come up with probably half a dozen other things. One of the ways is maybe when you get home or something or you see a neighbor has a need, stopping what you're doing and going and helping them. It's actually not real difficult, but what you're teaching your children is that our own plans and our own things we're doing are not as important as reaching out with the gospel. And so we need, kids are concrete thinkers. They need tangible ways to see these things. And, and so that's a, that's a great way to see it. Hey, we're going to stop shooting baskets because they need their trash cans pulled out. Let's just go offer to help them. It's, it's little things. And if they know that that's who you're trying to reach for Christ, you're communicating some powerful, powerful godly values there. Celebrate and rejoice. And I mean really celebrate and rejoice. Not just, oh, hey, it's great. No, really celebrate and rejoice when a step is taken with your one, your person you're praying for, or on a good report from a missionary. When we come back, did, did you hear that the Cuba Berbers have, have people accepting Christ and there's churches being founded there? We've been praying for them for 15 years. That is awesome news. The work's not done and we're still partnering and we want to see the, the gospel go further there, but we should celebrate that. Your kids will notice what you celebrate. And they'll grab onto it. They're like, okay, this must be important. And so celebrate those things. Maybe adopt a missionary from our list and write to them. Facebook them. Somehow communicate. With all these things, communicate outreach is important. Our second core value, and and really it's core to discipleship, is community. Romans 12.10 on the wall says, Love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in showing honor. There's a priority in that word outdo. And so we put a priority on church family. We put a priority on other believers. One of the ways we do that is by putting a priority when we gather together. Coming to church is a good place to start. You're all here. I'm preaching to the choir. But when our kids see a commitment to church family, they're seeing a commitment to community beyond self. And do we really want little self-centered Children. No. We want to help them reach out. We show that with our example. And so we come to church. We participate. This is so important. It's important for them to see you come to things that may not be for you. Or that you may not care for. And and I know this runs counter to all of our, our planning and scheduling and what we want to do. But if your kids only see you come to the activities you like, what are you teaching them? to be self-centered little creatures. And, but when they see us value church family, value God's family and his bride more than ourselves, then we are now teaching to love Jesus most instead of to love self most. This is huge. You know, a couple of other ways there, be open-handed to help others and share with others. Maybe that's secret shopping trips for someone in the, the church. Some of our littles gives things away at the Awana store. Those are all great ways to do that. To speak well of church and church family. Be careful of complaining about people in God's family. Here's the thing. The church, biblically, is the bride of Christ. How many of you like someone putting down your bride? No, you'd punch me. Or... Other nicer things. Be careful of complaining about God's bride, especially in front of your kids. Sometimes we let down our our guard in front of kids. Now, I understand there might be time to vent. Vent with your spouse. Send me emails. I can take it. 
vent with me, but not in front of your kids. Because you're teaching then that your own frustrations and your, yourself is more important than the bride of Christ. So be careful of that. Spiritual growth, our third core value. Romans 12, 1 and 2 speaks to that. And, and we have Romans 12, 2 on the, on the wall. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good, acceptable, and perfect. And we need to, to make it our goal for our kids to see our just undiluted passion for Christ. Undiluted thinking of the salt and the other things contaminating the salt. We want them to taste salt, not gypsum. And so talk about God. Talk about what He's done. Talk about who He is. Worship. They need to see you worshiping. Make it a priority of spending time in God's Word in some way with your family. And we've talked about that before. In fact, today for, for dads at the table, there are, there are huge candy bars because you'd shoot me if those weren't there. But we have a book for you today. And in the past, we've done a book called Family Worship that talked about read, sing, and pray. This is a book called Bible Reading with Your Kids. And it steps you through just how you could read passages of the Bible with your kids and explain it to them. It gives you scripts at the end. It was so helpful for me to say, oh, okay, that's how they do that. They take some hard passages that I don't know that I want my children to read. And and they say how you can do that in an age-appropriate way. Just real practical helps there. So men, fathers, this is for you. Take one, and but take your candy bar too. And it's another tool in your toolbox that sometime read it and, and maybe take some of those, um, those ideas. Make all of the church service on Sunday an on-time priority. Did you catch that one? Make all of the service on Sunday an on-time priority. I know we laugh about it. And, and, and I know things happen. I know we have village time. And, and the church starts at 9.45 sometimes or 9.50. And I know things happen, especially if, if you have littles. Wow, things happen. But your kids will see what's important to you. And so if we are coming to church grudgingly, like, oh, I have to come, or I can't believe they're starting at 9.30, that's so early, or um, <laughs> I heard the chuckles. <laughs> um, we're, we're communicating. Everything we're doing is communicating. And so moms, dads, you communicate the value of spiritual growth and the value of worship by participating in every part of the service and being here earlier on time. And if we're consistently late, and, and I know all kinds of things can happen, like I said, but if we're consistently late, we are communicating to our kids that this is not important. Not what we mean. That may not be what's in our hearts, but that's what we're communicating. So I challenge you, make being part of every part of the service, whether it's parts you like or don't like, make it an on-time priority. It's worth it for what you communicate to your kids. It's worth it. Talk about the creep and contamination of worldliness often is the last one there. It's okay to talk about it and say, kids, hey, we're trying to to keep some of these things out. You can tell the brownie story if you want. Um, and, and, And we need to constantly keep this top of mind. You know, there's times where we do turn off TV shows. That is a fantastic teachable moment. You could just turn it to something else and go on like nothing happened. No, stop and say, this is why we do it. This is, God hates these things. We don't want to watch things that God hates. 
We don't need to watch some of the, 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 the filth that is there, the things that are so sinful and disturbing to God, and explain to them why. And then finally, the last category, the last core value is ministry. 1 Peter 4.10, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Moms and dads, your kids need to see you serving God as a servant in ministry. You're communicating sacrifice. You're communicating that serving and, and being about God's purpose is more important than your desires and wants. You're communicating get out of your own self-centered shell and be about God. Love Him most. You know, something that, that I encourage, especially those of you with littles, your kids actually need to see you give them up sometimes to serve. Now, before you shoot me, before I get all the emails about this, there's a balance here. But if you only serve when your kids aren't around or when it's convenient, you are teaching them self-centeredness. They need to sometimes see an evening where you're away because you're serving God. And that will teach them more than if you're there oftentimes. Now, the balance is I'm not talking five days a week. I'm not talking excessiveness. And, and I know we can, we can move to, to workaholism and, oh, I'm going to serve God every night of the week and your kids never see you. No, be, be great with your kids and spend time with your kids. But it's okay if you say, Daddy needs to go do this or Mommy needs to go do this sometimes because you're teaching a sacrifice for the kingdom that you may not be able to teach any other way. Last thing I mentioned there is have at least one thing you can all serve in together. Sacrifice if you need to do it. But I encourage families have at least one thing where you're all serving together. And we offer a lot of different opportunities like that here. It's why we offer some of the ministries we do like Second Harvest or Living Nativity and some of the other things we do that you can serve together as a family because you need some things like that. I see families with older kids serving together and teaching the littles and it's awesome. But they, they need to see that this is important. Just a list of ideas. Pick one and say, God, help me with this. Help me deepen this. Moms and kids... Find one that your dad, that dad is doing really well and tell him today. This isn't a list that, that we're all going to implement this week. This is something that is just some goals to strive for, some things to think about. This side of eternity, none of us are perfect. And the Holy Spirit will help us lead our families, lead our children, and teach our children. But let's love Jesus most more than anything else. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for being black and white on what we love, on what we value most. And Lord, help us to put you above all of our relationships. Help us to put you above self. Help us to put you above stuff and all these things that can so easily become idols. And Lord, help our kids to see that passion. Lord, you've given us so many young ones here at Village Help all of us to be showing that passion. Moms and dads and spiritual moms and dads and spiritual older brothers and sisters and mentors and disciplers. Lord, help us to be a church that is characterized by being all in for you and not letting anything dilute that passion. Lord, help us even today to be thinking what dilutes our passion and give that to you. 
And work on that this week, Lord God. Work on our hearts. Thank you for Father's... Thank you for what you've given us, the rich legacy you've given us at Village. Lord, may we continue to lead well and to pass on our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.